Now let's get into the text in Proverbs chapter 7 and continue thinking about this idea of blueprint, how it is that wisdom from God's word helps us to build a house or to build a home or a family. All of you know that sometimes you can drive through a neighborhood and the homes in that neighborhood will often look essentially the same. They, they may have a different color paint or little, little uh, uh, differences among them, but by and large, they're almost cookie-cutter kinds of, of houses. Uh, they've all got the same roof line. They all essentially have the same shape. They're all about the same size. Uh, they've all got similar kind of finishes, maybe arts and crafts or, or uh, whatever. But you drive through this neighborhood and you go, this is, all these houses were obviously made by the, built by the same builders and, and designed by the same architects. And then sometimes in a neighborhood like that, you will come across a house that just stands out as completely different than all the rest. I don't mean that it's painted differently. I mean the house is different. Everything's different. The roof line is different and it's multi-storied instead of one story or it's, it's expansive instead of small or it's tiny instead of expansive or whatever. But it's just obviously different. And when you find, when you come across that one home amongst all the others that look very similar, here's what you immediately know. That that house was designed by a different designer. That home had a, an architect that was unique from all of the other homes that are in that community. And if we know Jesus as our Savior, and if we believe and live by his word, then we must know that our home, our family, has a different designer. We must be aware of the fact that the designer of our homes, the architect of our lives, is unique to those of us who know Jesus. And so all of the other families who don't know Jesus that live around us, their lives, their families look differently than ours. Because our lives, our families have been designed by our unique designer. So let me ask you a question. How is it that your family is different from all the non-Christian families in your neighborhood? How is it that your home looks differently than the rest of the homes around which you live. Now, I didn't say, how is your family better than? It's not an, I, I, I didn't ask you about being better. None of us are any better than anyone. I didn't say, how are you better than? Because we're not. I said, how are you? How is your family different than? Maybe I would ask it this way. What is it that ought to distinguish the blueprint home, the Christian home, from all the other homes around us? What makes our families stand out? Maybe you would say, well, it's Sunday morning and uh, most of my neighbors are sleeping in or working in the yard or doing whatever and my driveway's empty because I drove to church today. That's how we're different. My car is not in my driveway this morning. That might be a difference, but that's not particularly what we're looking for. <laughs> that's not the distinguishing marker. 
Maybe it would have something to do with, uh, I don't know, yard art. You know, it's, we're coming up on Christmas time, so maybe you're like, I can tell you how mine's different. Uh, when, uh, when, when people drive through the neighborhood, other families might have snowflakes and Santa Claus or Frosty. Uh, I'm going to have a nativity scene in my yard. That makes me different. Well, that's, that's probably going to be a little different, but that's not what we're looking for. Maybe it's the number of Bibles. If we had a Bible competition and we said, how many Bibles do you have in your home? In our home, we would probably have more because we're a Christian home. Well, that may be true, but, but that's not what we're looking for. If it's, if it's not those external things and a thousand other, honestly, silly measures, what is the thing that makes the Christian home different? I would suggest to you that it is this one word, and I hope you'll jot it down somewhere in your notes. It is the word holiness. Holiness. In fact, here's the big idea today. I want you to never forget this, that according to God's blueprint, the home is a holy place. According to God's blueprint, the home is to be a holy place. And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about cultivating holiness in our families, cultivating holiness in our homes. Let's begin by thinking together about what the Bible teaches us about holiness generally. So uh, hold your finger in Proverbs chapter number seven. And I'm going to ask you to turn all the way over to the New Testament book of First Peter, all the way to the back of your Bible, if you don't mind. Go to First Peter chapter three. You'll find 1 Peter right in front of, or just a few pages in front of Revelation. Look at 1 Peter chapter number 1, rather. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse number 14. 1 Peter 1 and verse 14. So Peter writes, As obedient children, do not fashion yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Now stop right there. He says that all of us, before coming to Jesus, lived in our ignorance. That is, before we came to know Christ, we lived according to the lusts of our flesh, the values of the world and the desires of our flesh and of our mind. That, those were the things that motivated us and drove us. Our values, our priorities, our ambitions, how we spent our time, everything about our morality all of that was driven by the world, by the flesh, by what we were handed by our parents. All of those things were what formed our lives. Now he says, you are children of God. So as children, do not fashion yourselves according to those former lusts. The word fashion means to, to mold your life or to be conformed uh, into this thing. Do not conform to your former lusts and your ignorance. Verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. It means all manner of living or in all of your lifestyle. So listen carefully. He says, for the follower of Jesus, we're obedient children. Now here's your choices. You've got your old life formed by fleshly desires and worldly values and you have this new life which makes you a child of God through faith in Jesus and your father is holy. Your life will be molded to one of these two. It will be fashioned like it used to be or it will be fashioned according to what it should be now. And he says, your father is holy. And because he is holy, verse 15, 
uh, 16, we are to be holy as well. As it is written, verse 16 says, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call or since you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, you should pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. We learned about this a few weeks ago in the first or second message in Blueprint where we talked about building into the foundation of our families the fear of the Lord. That's what he's talking about. Because one day God's going to take an account of our lives. Our Father will judge all of us impartially based on how we live for him. He says, knowing that, live out this life in the fear of the Lord, that respect and reverence and awe for him which leads to love and obedience. Uh, Verse number 17 ends by saying, this time of your sojourning here in fear. Verse 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or from your empty life, but you have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Notice in verse number 18, he says, you have been redeemed. You have been rescued. You have been redeemed from your former life. So when you think about the values of your home, listen to me carefully. When you think about the values of your family, the morals by which you live, the the priorities that determine your, your time and your investments and your energies, how you raise your children, what you value in your family. When you think about those things, he says, remember, you've been redeemed from your old life. So don't have a home now that looks like it looked before you met Jesus. Listen carefully. Don't have a family now that looks like every family in the community who don't know Jesus because you have been redeemed from that life, taken out of it, and put into a new life where God who is holy is your father. So as you press into him, your life and your family should become more holy. If y'all understand, would you shout amen? Does this make sense? He says, you have been called to a life to build a home and a family where there is holiness. Now, let me show you one other place where the New Testament speaks of this. So uh, go back to 1 Thessalonians, just a few pages backward. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. And listen to verse number 12. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse number 12 says this. And may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. By the way, let me just stop and apply this. Do you sometimes struggle to love some people? If you do sometimes, would you say amen? Can I say to you, That your capacity to love another person is not dependent upon the actions or the behavior of that person. Somebody will say amen right there. Your capacity to love another person is not determined by the actions or the behaviors of that other person. Verse number 12 does not say, and now those, may those people straighten up so that you may abound and increase in love for them. It's not what it says. It says, may the Lord cause you to abound and increase in love. 
your capacity to love other people is within the person of Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit who lives within you. He is the one that gives you the capacity to do it. All right, 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you to the end or for the goal that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. You see, he's working something in us, loved ones. He's working within us this product, this end goal, this, this desired outcome that our lives, our families, our homes would be holy before him. And in fact, look at chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians in verse number 7, where he tells us that holiness is in fact the purpose of our redemption. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, For God has not called us to uncleanness, but God has called us unto holiness. Your calling in Christ has the ultimate end of producing holiness in your life, which will be to the glory of God forever. This is the reason Christ came and died and rose and redeemed us by his grace that he might transform our lives. Now, if that's true for every Christian, and it is, then it's certainly true for every Christian couple. And it's certainly true for every Christian family that our, our marriages, our parenting, and our homes ought to demonstrate the quality of the holiness, the characteristic of the holiness of God. In fact, listen to 1 Peter 2 and verse number 9. You don't have to turn back. We'll put it on the screen for you. Peter writes there, but you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. It's what you've been called to be. You are a holy nation, a peculiar or a set-apart people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, the fact of the matter is that we have been called to holiness as people, as individuals, as husbands, as wives, as parents, as students, as families, we have been called to holiness. And so what ought to define the Christian home in the neighborhood of non-Christians? It ought to be holiness in that home. Now, what is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? Well, the word holy, as many of you know, means something that is set apart from. It's sacred. So you have, you have what is the norm, and then you have what has been set apart from the norm. That, that's what it means to be holy, something that has become or been made sacred. Um, a great definition for the word holy is other than, not like others. Um, God is other than we are. He is not like us. He is set apart from us, so he is holy. Which means that our homes, according to God's blueprint, should be set apart as a holy home in our neighborhood or a holy home in our world. So I want you to go back to Proverbs and let's talk for a few minutes about how to cultivate holiness in our families out of Proverbs chapter number 7. This chapter, interestingly, gives us the story of a young man... Uh, unnamed, but a young man who is obviously a part of a family in Israel who is observed by Solomon 
wandering the streets one night. His story begins to be told in Proverbs chapter 7 and verse number 6, where it's obvious that this young man has left his home and he's walking down uh, the street. Now, why he's there out of his home walking the street, we're not told. Maybe uh, it's completely innocent. Maybe he's wandering. He's out for some reason that, that has merit. I don't know. Maybe he's out looking for, for sinful pleasures. We don't know why, but he's on the street. The text tells us that he's observed by the writer. Verse number six, for at the window of my house, I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones. I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. He was passing through the street uh, near her corner. He went the way to her house. It was in the twilight in the evening, in the black and dark of night. Verse number seven tells us that this young man is simple, the King James says. It means simply that he is ignorant. He, he doesn't know any better than to be where he is, going about what he's going about uh, doing. Another way to say it is that he's naive. He says in verse number seven that this young man is void of understanding. Now, that might mean a couple of things. It might mean that he has come from a home where there has been no understanding deposited to him, where there is no holiness in that home, there's no wisdom in that home, and so he's just been raised in an environment which is, which is a void of understanding. That might be the case. It also might be the case that he has rejected the teaching that his family has given him. In either, in either case, he, he doesn't have it, verse 7. He is void of understanding. Verse 9, it's twilight. It's in the dark of night. Verse number 10, there she is. There met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. He's out in the street, void of understanding, in a dangerous place, and suddenly he's confronted by this harlot, this temptation that comes upon him. If you read down through verse number 10, 11, 12, all the way through their conversation, you will see her, how she entices him. But skip over, if you will, to verse number 21. Verse 21 says, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. And by the time you get to verse number 22, the die is cast. The decision is made. The failure has happened and he is off to the slaughter. That's what verse 22 says. He goes with her for what he thinks will be a night of bliss. And yet verse 22 says he doesn't even know it. But he's like an ox going to the slaughter. He doesn't even know it, but he's like a, 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 an ignorant one going to the stocks. He's like a, a bird going to the snare. His end will be destruction. How many times has this story been told? Over and over and over and endlessly throughout history. Young men, young women, middle-aged men, middle-aged women, even older men and older women who because of a lack of understanding and knowledge and a, and a lack of holiness wander about through life and some temptation comes along and just overruns them and Maybe it's a similar temptation to chapter 7 
and this young man, maybe a completely different kind of temptation, but in any case, it just runs them over. And while they think they're just living life and having their fun, it's bringing destruction. It's destroying their own lives. It's destroying, in many cases, families' lives. It is leading them down a path that is literally the path to hell. In fact, this is what verse number 27 says. Her house is the way to hell. It means the way to death. It brings death. It is the going down to the chambers of death. Now, while this kind of failure can happen to any person, it can happen to any one of us, and none of us are above it, the likelihood of such failure is greatly diminished when we live in a home or a family where there is cultivated holiness. When we are in a home of holiness, failure like this is not impossible, but it is much less likely. And so, I want to share a couple of things with you out of Proverbs chapter number 7 that I hope will be helpful to you in building a family with holiness. In fact, let me just impress upon you this challenge out of Proverbs chapter 7. I want to make it to husbands, first of all, I think husbands ought to lead the way in this, but certainly to wives as well or single moms or dads or single adults in your, in your home, grandparents as you're influencing. Here's the challenge I want to give to you. It is that you and I should make our homes a holy establishment. That's my challenge to you. Make your home a holy home. Make it a holy establishment. Do you do what I do when you go to a new restaurant that you're just not sure about? Do you always, I mean always, never failing, do you always check the sanitation grade every single time? You know, restaurants are required to do this. They're required to, to put a, a certificate on the wall that, that tells their sanitation grade. And here's why they have to do that. It's because you're not allowed in the kitchen. <laughs> And you don't really know what's going on in the kitchen. You're not really sure if the utensils are clean or the prep table is clean or if the food's being handled properly or if the dishes are being washed sufficiently. You don't know what's going on back there. You don't know if you're getting good food or not in terms of its health, uh, making sure that it's not going to make you sick. And so somebody with some authority has gone into the kitchen and checked it out for you and they put up a grade this is the sanitation grade. Well, I wonder, what if God came into your home and gave you a holiness grade? Where none of the rest of us can look. It's your house, your family. What goes on behind closed doors, that's your business, you say. But I wonder if God came in, what kind of grade you would get. If the Lord knocked on your door one day and said, I'm from the Department of Holiness. Need to check out what's happening in your home. He give you a grade. Well, the truth is, he doesn't have to knock on our door. Amen? And in fact, he's already gained entrance. He's everywhere. And he knows what is happening. What if God gave you a holiness grade? What would your grade be? Now, I feel like maybe some of you are beginning to bristle just a bit and push back a little bit. Not because I see that on your faces, but I, I, I can sense that, that maybe... Uh, on, on some of our campuses, people are going, but, but, but now wait a minute, Pastor, you're beginning to sound legalistic. Like you're beginning to talk about works and, and legalism and, and holiness, and, and we, we're not to be legalistic, right? We're free in Jesus. If y'all are listening on all campuses, shout amen. 
This is not legalism. Legalism, by definition, is when I perform in order to gain approval or acceptance by the Lord or, or by some group of people. This is not legalism. This is holiness. And holiness is altogether different because holiness is right, a distinctive righteousness which results from transforming grace. God has changed my life. He's transformed me. I am being pressed into his mold and therefore my life is becoming more holy. That's in no way legalism. And so you and I should make every effort in the grace of God that we would make our homes into holy establishments. So how do we do it? Let me give you a couple of suggestions from the text. First of all, I would suggest to you, if you want to cultivate holiness in your family, you should begin by cherishing, important word, cherishing the Lord and his word. Cherishing the Lord and his word. Listen to verses one, two, and three. My son, keep my words, lay not or lay up my commandments with thee, keep my commandments and live, and keep my law as the apple of your eye. Keep my law. Do you hear that? Keep my commands, my truths, my law, my words as the apple of your eye. It means the thing that you cherish. It also goes on in the next verse to say, keep these commands bound upon your hand, your arm, and write them upon the table of your heart. What does that mean? Well, it means that I, I don't find holiness simply as words on a page, but I want to take the commands and the truths of God. I want them in my heart, loved and cherished, written upon my heart, even bound up in my life, carrying them with me. Everywhere I go. Some people believe that verse number four has a reference to the Jewish uh, phylacteries, uh, the tephilim, that Jewish men will wrap around their arms, the leather, you, you know, the boxes between their eyes with the leather straps around their head, and then they'll take a leather strap and wrap it around their arm and around their finger three times, and this represents the truths and the laws of God wrapped up in their lives on their arm. And by the way, you'll never see a Jewish man with that tephilim wrapped around his right arm ever. It's always around his left arm because it is the left arm that comes up and lands on his heart. He says, I want you to keep and cherish my words. Let me tell you the problem in too many Christian homes that doesn't result in holiness, but it often results in rebellion. And that is that very often, and this tends toward legalism, by the way, very often Christian families make the mistake of valuing behavior over belief. Somebody once said that rules without a relationship leads to rebellion. And so we keep rules not because we're told to keep them. We, we follow God's commands and we keep his word because we're in a relationship, a transforming relationship with him that produces within us a desire for holiness. And when we're raising our children, if we will teach them to cherish the Lord and his word first, the behaviors will follow. If we begin with behavior, then we're creating, in many cases, rebels. And so we need to value behavior, or belief over behavior. Cherish the Lord and his word. That's the first thing to making your home a holy establishment. The second thing is to make wisdom a member of the family. I love verse number four. 
Listen to what he says. Say unto wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding thy kinswoman. It means your mother. Say unto wisdom, you're my sister. Say unto understanding, you're my mother. In other words, wisdom and understanding and holiness and truth, these things are not strangers in our house. They're not visitors in our house. But they are family. They are, they are with us all the time. Listen to Proverbs. I'm going to turn over to Proverbs 24. Let me read you two verses. Proverbs 24, verse 3 says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Here's the construction plan according to God's blueprint. If that in that house we combine wisdom and understanding what is true of God, how we apply that knowledge into our lives, that truth into our lives, and we walk in the knowledge of the Lord, cherishing belief over behavior, that results in holiness. And he says in chapter 24, verse 4, then our houses will be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. I would challenge you to make your home a holy institution, a holy establishment Secondly, I would just take you back in closing to Proverbs chapter number 7 and remind you that the writer teaches us that holiness is a guard against sin. Remember I said that none of us are exempt from falling into sin. None of us are exempt from foolish living and destructive choices, but holiness is a guard against it. It's a a stalwart, a buckler against those kinds of failures. Look at verse number 5. Chapter 7 and verse number 5, why should you, according to verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, why should you keep his commandments? Why should you keep his law as the apple of your eye? Why should you say to wisdom, you're my sister? Why should you say to understanding, you're my mother? Why should you seek holiness in your home? Because verse 5 says these things will keep you from the strange woman or that failure. Holiness is a guard against it. In fact, if you go to the end of the chapter, chapter 7, verse number 24, after telling the story of this young man and his failure, he says in verse number 24, Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children. He's talking to his own son, his own students. And he said, let me tell you the story about this guy. He tells the tragic story of verse 6 to verse 21. And then in verse 24, he comes back and he says, Now you, my children, don't you make that mistake. Don't you let your heart decline and go after that. But rather, you walk in holiness. You keep my word. I will never forget when I first came to faith in Jesus. I was 16 years old. My grandfather, who was, a, who was an ordained pastor for 50 years, a bivocational pastor, he's a barber. And uh, he, said, he would always tell me he led more people to faith in Jesus in his barber chair than he did from his pulpit. And I said, well, that's because you had that straight razor that you shaved him with. And, you witness right here. <laughs> but anyway, when I came to faith at 16, my grandfather sent me my very first Bible. Not this one, but, but my very first Bible as a Christian. And I carried it to church with me. And the youth pastor in my church took it one day. And he said, do you mind if I write in it? And on the, on the inside blank cover or blank page, he wrote these words about the Bible. He said, this book will keep me from sin 
or sin will keep me from this book. Now, it's not about a book, which is my Savior. But it's about the truths in this book, which if embraced, if kept, if cherished as the heart of uh, as the apple of my eye, if held close like a sister and a mother, if I will hold the truths of God close in my family home, then it will produce a holiness which will in fact be a guard against so much sin and failure in our lives. What makes your home different? Well, God's plan is that your home is different because your home is holy. Holy. 